Thank you so much for at least acknowledging that I will still be in your presence for the next few minutes, all right? All right, um, we're going to be in Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 30 today, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. As you turn, let me just tell you a couple of things. First of all, as you see, there's more and more children that are going back and stuff on, on Sunday mornings. If you have the ability or capability or would love to help back there, there's a sheet back there for uh, nursery. They, they're needing nursery workers. And then also, if you want to sign up and be a part of the children's ministry, talk to Miss Victoria, all right? She's the one that's putting together all of the, the stuff for that. So if you'd love to work back there with them on Sunday mornings, that would be great. One other thing, too, is we, as we uh, move to uh, transition on some areas, cleaning the church. The church is being cleaned through this month, but if you'd like to sign up after that, there's a sign-up sheet that I think is in the foyer as well, and you can help us by coming um, and on some weeks or if you want to do it for an entire month or whatever to, to help clean the church and get it ready on Sunday mornings and stuff, okay? So as we turn to Matthew chapter 5, we're looking at verses 27 through 30. Remember, we've been talking about this particular section and this particular area of Scripture talks about some tough, tough things. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've noticed in movies lately and in TV shows, they go straight to the end. Have you noticed that? They go straight to the end and they basically show you how everything's going to end up. And then they go all the way back and start showing you how they got to that point. Have you noticed that? There's been a transition that used to be they would never do that in a movie or a TV show because they wanted to keep you there for the entire 30 minutes or two hours or an hour, ever how long the show was. But nowadays, it's become more popular to go straight to the end and show you this climactic moment that's taking place in this movie or on this TV show. And then they say three days earlier, this is how we got here, or a week earlier, this is how we got here. And they start building to how they got to that point of that big decision at the end. This is what takes place in, the, in these sections of this section of scripture right here. We get these big sins that we call them, and they're just blurt. Jesus just takes them and says, "You have heard it said," and then he gives you this sin. And then what he does is he backs up and starts telling you how you got there. And so we need to understand that a lot of us think, hey, because I've never committed this big sin that Jesus comes up with here at the end, I'm perfectly fine. But as Jesus starts to back up and show you how you got there, the majority of us have fallen short at some point or period in that process, okay? Like last week, it said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you, anyone who's become angry at someone else has already committed the sin or started on the path to committing murder. And we talked about that last week. Well, the same thing happens here today. This is the second one that we, as we go through this in this above and beyond series as we're looking at it, it says this. Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Bold, all capped words in scripture means that it's a reference to an Old Testament scripture. So this is something that you are catching that has been said for a long, long time. And this is a basis of our faith. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. So what we have here is we have this proclamation or statement, which we know to be true from all of Christendom and all of our faith, okay? 
from Old Testament, and now Jesus is bringing it into the New Testament. But Jesus is telling us how we got there, okay? So the first thing that you need to see is that this is an issue of love. This is an issue of love. Love is unconditional when it is in its perfect form and as God created it. It's an unconditional love. Now look, on the human side of this, there's conditions in all of our love. In fact, you get this picture, and I've given you an example of it, and you can go and read about it in Scripture yourself. In John chapter 21, Jesus has a conversation with Peter, and he says, do you love me? He uses a Greek word called agape which means unconditional love. In fact, in Greek culture, there were four words for love, okay? And of those four words, um, unconditional is the highest form of love or agape love. You have eros, which is erotic love. You have philo, or phila, which is brotherly love, like the, um, the city of brotherly love, which is what? Philadelphia. So, so you have that love. And then you have what's called storhe, which is like family love. Like you love your brother and your sister and your mom and your dad. It's that family love. So you have those four types of love that are given in, uh, in Greek culture. And in fact, eros is not even mentioned in scripture. But it's the love that this culture and our world thinks that love truly means, which is erotic love. But Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And he uses the Greek word agape. Peter responds back in John chapter 21, and he says, You know I love you, Lord. But he responds back with phileo, brotherly love. I love you like a brother. Jesus comes back to him again and says, Do you love me, agape? Peter says, I love you like a brother. You know I do, phileo. And finally Jesus says, phileo, do you love me? And Peter responds back for the third time, Yes, I do. You see, all that's lost. It's lost on us in culture here because it says what? Love, 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 love. And love in our culture means something totally different than what Jesus is trying to say to us and what the God's word is trying to say to us. We don't understand the con or we don't have the comprehension of what a fullness of love means. And so today, as we look at this, I want you to see what God is trying to say to us, what love truly is, and then also see what love has become. Because as we break love down, we have transformed it into something else. And because we've transformed it into something else, then when we say love, it means nothing like what God's trying to call us to. And what God's trying to call us to is something above and beyond what we live in each and every day. So as he tells us here, you have heard it said, y'all shall not commit adultery. Remember, adultery is the end point. Love is the true issue. So we have to learn how to love like God wants us to love. But when we head down the wrong path, we start on the different side. When we start on the different side, this is what the world is. This is what the world gives us. It says this, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Lust is the foundation of adultery. In fact, if you go and read in James chapter 1 and in chapter 2, lust is the foundation of a lot of sin. Because what lust is, is when we want something greater than what is given to us or what we need. 
Scripture says that God will provide all of our what? Needs. He doesn't say that he's going to provide all of our wants. So just as much as we sit here and we say that we can lust after someone of the opposite sex, we can also lust after our neighbor's house and the cars and the boats and the stuff. We can lust after how they, their job or their title or all kinds of things. When we want something that is greater than what we have been given or different, not necessarily greater, but different from what we've been given or what we need, then we, and when we step out at that, we have given in to our lust. And so lust is the foundation of a lot of sin, but it's also the foundation of adultery. It says this in James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot tempt by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. We've been talking about this a lot. We're studying James on Wednesday nights as well. But the thing we need to see is, is that when we have to make decisions or when there's a conundrum or when there's a, a crossroads in our life and we have to go one direction or another, two things are often going on at the same time. Our faith is being tried. God is allowing us to be tested in our faith. But at the same time that we are being tested in our faith, our adversary is trying to tempt us. So a lot of times as we're going through trials or difficulties in our life, then is when temptation comes. Temptation is not from God. A trial and a test is from God. God will try our faith. God will test our faith. But God does not tempt us. Our, the temptation comes from our adversary. When we fall into sin is when we give in to that temptation which turns into what does the scripture say right here? Turns into lust. So when we take this step in the wrong direction and give in to temptation, we are giving in to our lust. I'm hungry. Are you guys hungry? It's about lunchtime. I will promise you I'll be done at 12, all right? We all need, to, uh, there's other places we need to be to eat, right? Well, here it is. I need to eat food. But right over here on the front row is a bunch of chocolate, all right? Right here. Everybody knows, if you've been here for any while or any length of time, what is a weakness of mine? Chocolate. And what do y'all do on the front row up here but fill this basket full of what? All right. The reason my shirt is untucked is not because I'm cool. It's because it makes me look slimmer. All right. <laughs> if I tuck this in, there's a more roundedness that takes place right here in my midsection. And you know why? It's because I give in to temptation all the time when I come by this basket up here. In fact, everybody does. And people are coming by here and going, well, there's no chocolate in here. I'm not going to get anything out of there. Whoever brings the dum-dums can stop bringing the dum-dums, the little suckers or whatever. Chocolate is what they're looking for. Why? Because that is our temptation. That is a point of temptation. If I want to grow in my faith, if I want to become more disciplined in my life, if I want to improve my health spiritually and physically, I realize that I have to do away from that and do away with that. But the temptation is as to what? Because that is what I want. That is what I like. That's the whole picture. It may be simplistic, but this is what life comes down to for us. 
We choose the quick and easy path, the something that, bring, that, that we like, that fits our taste, that, that fits our wants. And when we do that, we're giving in to those temptations and we're following after our lusts. Nobody likes the results of that. It makes us feel bad, doesn't it? After I've eaten 14 pieces of those kisses over there, I really feel bad about myself. Because <laughs> I'm no longer hungry anymore. It's been satisfied right there. I've been easily taken care of, but 30 minutes later, I'm hungry again. And so then I go and eat real food on top of the 5,000 calories that I ate out of the basket. <laughs> Look, this is the way it goes for us. This is what sin does to us. This is what temptation does. Scripture tells us there is fun in sin for a season. Momentarily, it brings us delight. But afterwards, we feel bad about it. And we surely do not like the results of it and the way that it makes us not only feel, but where it puts us in relationship with the Lord. So we have to stop following after our lusts. We have to stop allowing ourselves to be caught off guard that way. Yeah, yeah. What movie was it? Up? Have y'all ever watched Up? Squirrel? Have y'all remember that? Remember the line from the movie Up? Squirrel? That is my life. In fact, my wife just called Squirrel on me down in so uh, down at Sunday school because I was talking about something and something just popped in my head and Squirrel, I went chasing <laughs> off after it. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is what we have to stop. We have to discipline ourselves and get ourselves in the right frame of mind so that that stuff doesn't happen to us. Lust is the foundation of adultery. The second thing that we need to see is desire is the formation of adultery. <laughs> I heard it said to me one time as, as I was in the ministry, it's okay, son, to glance at a woman, but it's not good to stare at her. One looks okay, but if you linger in a look or look back the second time, that's where the sin is. There is some truth in that. We cannot stop things from coming into our eyesight, right? The next step for this is if your eye is bad, poke your eye out. Do get, get rid of your eye. We cannot stop what comes. You cannot unsee it. You cannot unsee it. But... You can not allow it to become a part of your thought process in your life. So when we're going down the road, when we're doing the, living our life, trying to do the things that we're supposed to do, stuff is coming at us all the time. We're not going to be unable to unsee it. In fact, Jesus' prayer for us was, Lord, do not take them out of the world, but what? Protect them as they're in the world. All right? Be in it, but not of it. So as this stuff comes at us, there's no way to stop it. But there is a way to filter it or not allow ourselves to get caught up in it. Um, I left my iPad up here. Let me step back up here. And so, so desire is the formation of adul adultery. It's the next step in our lives. Proverbs 21, 4 says this, Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, is sin. So what happens is, is when our eyes become haughty, in other words, when we begin to linger on things, when we begin to 
uh, obsess on things, when we begin to look at things and, and stay there and say, you know what? I deserve this. That's where the pride comes in. I am going to give in to my wants. I have earned this. And so, or because of the way someone else is treating me, then I'm going to go over here. So if our relationships, like we're talking about here with adultery, are not fitting or meeting our needs, then we're going to give in to our wants and we're going to allow ourselves to go over here. That's when we, when the lust takes a step up. And when the lust is conceived in our mind, in our thought process, then it becomes a desire. And the desire goes straight for where? Where does the desire go straight for? The heart. That's exactly right. The desire goes straight for the heart. So when he says the eyes are the lamp of our body and our eyes, when our eyes are bad, our whole body is bad, which is what he's going to tell us later in this same sermon or when he's saying it right here to us that if our eye is bad, we just need to go on ahead and poke it out. Why are we thinking that that is something that, why, why is Christ going that far that abruptly? What is he trying to say to us? He's saying we got to stop this right at the source. So when things come at us, when we want them or we like them or it's something other than what we need, and when we give in to that lust and it becomes desire, this stuff is formed in our hearts. It is taken hold of us. The third thing is, is this that you need to see. Unfaithfulness is the fruit of adultery. Unfaithfulness is the fruit of adultery. To be unfaithful is infidelity. Fidelity is to be faithful. So when we give in to these desires and we become unfaithful, that's what leads us to have infidelity. When we have infidelity, we break relationships. Sin does not build bonds. Sin breaks bonds in all aspects of our lives. It breaks down our soul into who we think we are. and what, We know right from wrong, don't we? And when we allow ourselves to do wrong and continually do wrong and live in wrong, then we're breaking a part of what we know is right. That brings shame. That brings guilt. God's relationship with us is not about shame and not about guilt. It's about what? Forgiveness. It's about healing. It's about taking the broken hearting and making them whole again. So unfaithfulness is not only in adultery, but any time that we break this relationship and we are unfaithful to him. And it makes us, it makes us separated from God. Galatians 5.19 says this, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Now I want to touch on all three of these here. Now Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 tells you about the things of the world. Right after that, it's going to tell you about the things of the Spirit. 
So I want you to know this. What 19 is telling you is what we want, what we want in 20 and beyond is what's kept from us by verse 19. So if we want love, joy, love, if we want love, then we cannot allow immorality in our lives. Because immorality is not love. Impurity is anything that comes into our lives through our eyes, which makes us sin, causes us to fall into lust. Paul goes into this even greater. I know I'm giving you a ton here today. There's just so much that this covers because this is really the essence of what breaks our relationship with God. It's sin. Paul says, anything that goes in your mouth passes through your body and goes out. It's this stuff that doesn't pass through that way that causes our relationship to break from God. So when we allow stuff that won't go in our mouth and out our body to come in and just stay there, that's what breaks. So when we allow anger and hate to come in, it can lead to murder. We may not get to murder. But when we allow anger and hate in, it breaks us. When we allow lust into our life and desire and live by desire, it breaks, it breaks our life. I don't care how much money you have, you cannot keep up with your desires. And I don't care how much money you have, you will always desire more. They polled a bunch of millionaires. You know what the question they asked them? How much would be enough for you to live off of? And they, the majority of them came back and said, at least one million more. Now it might be a billion. I don't know. Might take them a little bit more than that. But it was always more. It was always more. Because you see, once we start feeding our appetites that way, we just continue to feed it. It makes us feel better for the moment, but in the end, we don't know how to stop it anymore. It leads to unfaithfulness. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 20 says this, 18 through 20, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. For you do not know that your do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Look, we're gonna talk about this is your hook for next week. We're gonna talk about divorce next week. But really, it's not about divorce. It's about the fact that we're in covenant with God. We're in covenant with God. If you ask me to marry you, you're asking God to come into that relationship because I am a representation of God as a pastor. I tell everybody that ever asked me to marry them that. Do you understand this? You're asking God to show up at the rehearsal party, the rehearsal dinner. You're asking God to show up, and then you ask him to stay for your reception. Now, look, I know it's a celebration, but if you're asking me to be there, I want you to know what you're asking. 
And I also want you to know that that is a covenant relationship. Covenant relationship. Why? That's because that's what, exactly what this passage right here says. Do you not know that your body has been bought with a price? You are not your own. Scripture says that when we give our life to Christ, it is no longer I that liveth, but what? Christ that liveth in me. So this is not my own. So when I give in to my lust and my wants, my desires, then who is getting left out? God. So when we sin against our body, our body is the temple of God. We're going to talk about this next week. When we're married in a marriage relationship, you do not own your body. Your spouse owns your body. That's what scripture says. So when we break that, we break it because we're thinking all about ourselves. But when we break it, it's a covenant that's been broken, not only with God, but sometimes in a marriage relationship, it's with those who we're married to. We've broken that covenant by. Look, God forgives all things and calls us to forgive. I'm not trying to tell, and I hope you're seeing this. I'm not just speaking about adultery here. Are you catching this? This is all sin. This is all of our lusts that we give into in every day of our life. And so when we do that, that's what we're doing. We're breaking this down. And as we break it down, we don't like what we see. We don't know how to fix it because in and of our flesh and in and of ourselves, we cannot solve this. We cannot fix this. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you confessional right here. Um, my dad was in the construction business. And James could probably speak to this as well, but the construction industry, is, especially back in the 70s and 80s, was extremely pornographic. I grew up around pornographic materials. It was everywhere. It was inside my dad's paint trucks. It was inside my home. It was everywhere. And as a young person, I knew where it was. Always knew where it was. It was always available to me. In fact, it was so bad that we'd be riding home from work and I'd be riding with a guy. Now look, if you know anything about painters, most of them have other issues <laughs> that, they, that they're dealing with. So as they're smoking their cigarettes, you know, and they're sitting there in the back of the truck, the, the centerfold was just laid out there. And in fact, it was such a man thing back in that day. It'd be like, hey, Tim, you ain't something else, are you? You do like girls, don't you? It's just right there. In a young age, that's just always and always a constant. Even in culture in that day, that's what made you a man, right? And so when you grow up in that and it's on you all the time, it is a constant battle. I can remember when we first got married. We went to a movie one night. I have grown, okay? I want y'all to know this. Not just this way. I have grown spiritually. We were going to a movie. We were no children, young couple. 
And so I'm sitting close to the aisle, probably like the second or third seat. And Brother Paul's sitting here. I'm just I'm right here. Brother Paul, forgive me. Um, so this woman walks down the aisle in the movie. Is this a dark movie? You know what I'm saying? My wife's right here. And so I went, mm-hmm, all the way down. And then I went, and right there, <laughs> right there, that, that's it, right there. Oh, I'm sorry, she had on a nice uh, sweater. And I was wondering, would you want a sweater like that? Someone told me, when you're digging the hole, put down the what? Put down the shovel. Why? Because stuff like that is just ingrained in me. It really was. And I'm telling you, it's, in other words, there are certain battles that we fight in our lives that we will fight all of our lives. All of our lives. And we have to be prepared for that. We have to understand that. And we have to see our enemy for who our enemy is and how he's going to come at us. He wants us, desires for us to be unfaithful. We need to flee that immorality. We need to realize that when we break that, then we are breaking the sin repetition that is in our lives. So how are we going to live above and beyond all of this? The above part is to guard your heart. Guard your heart. This is one of the first verses I learned in seminary. I wasn't familiar with this in seminary. But when you get to seminary and they start talking to preachers, women and money, son, that's what's going to ruin your ministry. And you hear that like 50 million times. Son, you need to understand as a young minister, what's going to ruin your career is if you start getting mixed up with the money or if you start getting mixed up with ladies. And so every class, it was this over and over and over again. This is the verse that came back. This is what they gave us. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your heart to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their bodies. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from, for from it flow the springs of life. All of who we are in life and relationship with God flows out of our heart. We have to guard our heart. Why is Jesus telling us to pluck out our eyes? He's saying if you need to pluck out your eye to guard your heart, get rid of your eye. If it's coming in and you can't stop it coming in, then you, it'd be better for it not to be there. Guard your heart. So for us to live above this, we have to guard our heart. For us to live beyond this, we have to sever the source. Now flee from youthful lust, 2 Timothy 2.22, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. So once we've guarded our heart, we need to put it into, turn from those things which are causing us problems and go the opposite direction. Flee immorality and go the other direction. Pursue purity, pursue faithfulness, pursue the other things, truth, and put those into your heart. And as you put those into your heart, it strengthens it. What else does he say there? He says not only your eye, but your hand, right? Cut off your arm if you have to. What is arm? 
What are your legs? If your eyes see it, and then you want to go there, is it your eyes that get you there? No. It's your hands and feet that get you where you want to go. He's saying the action part of this is this comes out of you. So if we're going to live above this, you have to guard your heart. If you're going to live beyond this, if you're actually going to put this into process in your life, then you got to cut that stuff off. you got to sever the source. Sever the source means get rid of it. Let it go. That's how you know when someone who's gone through counseling or someone who's fallen into this and and Christian faith and then trying to move beyond it, if they're really truly serious about it. Are they willing to sever the source? I had a young man come to me one time and tell me I have not committed adultery but there is a woman in my office that is pursuing me. And my wife knows that she pursues me. And she will not leave me alone. What should I do? I said, you got to leave the job. You got to leave the job. But I make such and such money here. You have no idea. And I'm like, you got to go. I said, if you cannot hold true on this, and if it's breaking your relationship with your wife, whether you've done it or not, she thinks you've done it, you've got to go. He was unemployed for months. Found another job, different job, different place. Rebuilt his relationship with his wife. Sometimes it's hard. Hard, hard stuff. He came to me, he asked me, what do you got to do? You got to sever the relationship. You got to remove that source from your life. And when you do that, that's when you can start to be made whole again. So the fact that there's no chocolate in that basket, don't put any more. <laughs> You're helping me. It's simple. It's really hard though, isn't it? Because there's tough choices. And what we're talking about today is directional. The world is all going this way. All going this way. And God is calling us to go this way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the fact that it's truth. I thank you for the fact that we can stand on it. And Father, I know that the, that the simplest thing that we can ever do in our life is to give our life to you. You tell us that. Just surrender our heart to you. But Father, then comes the, the difficult thing. We have to guard that heart for the rest of our lives from the things of this world. We have to keep that heart pure and clean. We have to live out of that heart righteously and faithfully. Blameless, as you tell us, not only before you, but before others who are around us. And the world is coming at us, Lord. It comes at us with all kinds of stuff, things, opportunities. 
all of that trying to penetrate our fortress, which is our heart. Father, you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Unconditionally, you gave your son so that we might have a relationship with you. What do you desire from us? You desire that kind of love back. You desire that kind of love towards other people. Make us whole, Lord. If there's someone here in this room that's headed down the wrong path, I pray, Father, that they will flee right now. That they will turn and that they will decide in their heart right now to go the other direction. And Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen them. And if there's some way, shape, form, or fashion that someone else here can help them, I pray, Father, instead of pointing a finger at them and saying, how in the world did you ever get here? Say, yes, how can I help you? Yes, I will stand with you. I will stand beside you, my brother, my sister. We love you, Lord. And thank you for the love that you have for us. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing. But just before we do, I just want to, I want to leave with this because I know that the way Scripture portrays this. But I want you to know something that, that I think is another step that is taken in our culture. Have you noticed how many female teachers in the last few months and years have been taking advantage of young boys? Do you understand that this has crossed the line now? Back in my day, it would have always been a male teacher who had done something wrong with a young girl. But in this day and age, it's crossed over. Our enemy is not giving up. And just because it says he in this passage doesn't mean it's not about she. All right, let's stand together.